If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And if you don't have your Bibles, you'll see the Scripture passages on the back of your sermon outline. And while you're getting those, I want to reiterate the invitation to our New to North Shore luncheon. If you've never been to one of those, we go from about 12 to 12.45. We're not going to keep you late, but we do want you to get a chance to know us better. And I would love to get better acquainted with you. Ruth Chung has prepared a lovely lunch for us right next door. If you have children, they're welcome to come too. They'll enjoy it as well. Our text this morning is a simple text right from the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 12, and then a few verses later, some comments by Jesus on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he says a few verses later, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So far the reading of God's Word. I need help for a moment. Danny Rosero, would you come up here for a moment? I'm going to ask you because, about this because I know you are an expert right now. Danny's a rising senior at Roslyn High School and has just taken his SATs. And um, what is this? A pencil. A pencil. A number two pencil. You're well familiar with the number two pencil that is required to take those tests. And, um, you know, I have many pencils in my office. I like writing with pencil. You know why I like writing with pencil? Because, well, I can erase. It has an eraser. Uh, what's wrong with this pencil? There's no eraser. It, there's no eraser. What does that mean? You make a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. Thank you. You can be seated. Very well done. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so the eraser is completely used up on this pencil because I make a lot of mistakes. Even worse, I commit a lot of sins, and I need those sins erased. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, and you wonder, is there a divine eraser that takes care of the debt I incur from my sins and your sins? If you're our guest today and we talk about sin in this church, we don't do it in order to offend you. We just want to talk honestly about who we are and the dynamics of our thoughts and our words and our actions. And when we talk about sins, we've learned from the Bible that we think in the categories of sins of commission. What are sins of commission? Sins of commission are the transgressions of God's law. That is, we do the things that are forbidden. We do the things that we should not do, uh, speaking unkind words when the Bible says be kind, speaking, uh, having a lustful thought when the Bible says honor the people of the opposite sex and treat them with respect, having uh, cheating on a test or stealing. These are sins of commission. But then we speak about sins of omission. 
What are those sins? Do you know? A sin of omission is the failure uh, to do what you're commanded to do. You just didn't get around to doing it. After all, the Bible uh, tells me to love my neighbor as myself. That is commanded. That is the law of God. And are there seasons when I neglect to love my neighbor as myself? The Bible is very clear. You know, the Old Testament food laws have been abrogated by the work of Christ, and yet there, are, there is an, a New Testament food law that is incumbent on every believer. Do you know what it is? It says in 1 Timothy 4 that you are to receive your food with thanksgiving. Did you know that? You're supposed to acknowledge that your food came from God and be thankful to God. And not presume that you got the food yourself or it came to you by mistake. Why do we pray before a meal? A habit? No, it's a command of God that you should receive your food with thanksgiving. And I was thinking, how many times do I eat and I neglect the simple command of God. How hard is it for me to say to my heavenly Father who's provided for me, especially because He provided for me and my family through your sacrificial gifts, how could I ever put a bite in my mouth without saying thank you? And how many times have I omitted having a thankful heart? And Jesus says the numbers are big. You think about it, the arithmetic of sin is staggering. Jesus speaks in terms of debts, forgive us our debt. I know this is just hypothetical, but let's just suppose that you're, you commit only one sin an hour every day of your life, a sin of omission or commission, just one every hour every day of your life. That would be over one-half a million sins. But suppose, well, no, this is a good-looking crowd. Let's suppose you only committed three sins a day, every day of your life. It would still be, if you're 75, almost 80,000 sins. And yet, if you know the Bible, you know that sin taints almost everything that we do. And the numbers that I've just quoted are small. Jesus says, forgive us, teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. Why? Because God is omniscient. Does God know our sins? I sometimes say to people when I'm witnessing to people who seem to have no interest in the things of God, I remind them that just because you don't like to pay attention to God does not mean that He does not pay attention to you. Are you with me on that? And God is omniscient. He's not ignorant. He's not like the parent who goes out of town for the weekend and says to the kids, we're going out of town, here's the keys to the house, have a nice time, and ignorantly goes away for the weekend and what happens? Some big wild party happens and then they hire the cleaning crew and they clean it all up and mom and dad come home blissfully ignorant. Oh no. Mom and dad have a security camera in every room. Mom and dad have an audio recorder in every room. God 
is not ignorant. There's a scroll. Isaiah 30, verses 8 and 9, it's typifying for us what happens. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. There is There is this picture, it's not the only picture you should have of God, but there is this picture of the accountant who keeps track of our debts. The great accountant who sees our sins of omission and commission. How's your credit history for the debt that you owe for your sins? Can you file an extension? No, you cannot. Can you commit a fraud and fool God and get away with it? No, you cannot. And the word debt in the day of Jesus conjured up something a little more frightening than it might today. For if you could not pay your debts, if you would not pay your debts, then you were sent where? Do you know? To debtor's prison, a terrible place. And if you can't pay, you go to jail. And God, according to the Bible, has established a debtor's prison. It's called hell. I have to be honest with you because it's in the Bible. Hell is eternal. Why? Because the people who are cast into hell, the rebellious, they will continue to express their unbridled hatred and rebellion against God. And it will just continue on eternally. Debtor's prison, the terrible debt that sin incurs before a holy God. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts. These are welcome words, aren't they, today? Forgive us our debts. Yet I wonder, how can He? How can He forgive me? In a very uncharacteristic moment, you may, some of you who are older, you may remember W.C. Fields was once looking through his Bible, and his friends found him looking through his Bible, and he said, what are you doing looking at that? Remember what W.C. Fields said? He said, well, I'm looking for loopholes. Why did he say that? He said, because he wondered, is there a way to escape from the judgment that is sure to come? And Jesus, well, it's almost blasphemy to call it a loophole, but Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. How does he forgive? In this church, he forgives because of what we call the gospel. The gospel. Do you know that word? It's an old-fashioned word. It means the good news. And we believe the good news. We teach the good news. Sunday after Sunday, we come back and we sing about and we preach about the good news for us. That there is escape from the penalty that the law demands. That is the gospel. It is about the active obedience of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, who lived the life we should have lived. It is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who in His passive obedience took upon Himself the punishment that our sins deserve. He died the death that we deserve to die. 
in our place. That's the gospel. And could death hold him? No. Death could not hold this sinless Son of God. And he burst out of the tomb, alive, triumphant, victorious, the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead in union with him and will go to heaven. The cosmic balance sheet is maintained by the sinless Son of God. Now, if you're in big debt, do you know what you need? You need a big spender <laughs> to come alongside you, don't you? That's what you need. You need someone to bring the wealth of heaven to pay the debt that is owed to heaven. 1 John 4.10. I love this verse. It's good to underline it in your Bible. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. Some people wonder why Jesus Christ continued after His resurrection to have nail holes in His hands, and the spear hole was still in His side, even in His glorified body. We sang about it this morning. If you missed the opening songs, you missed one of our favorites. We sing, Arise, my soul, arise. And in that second verse, it says, Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. How can he forgive you? I once heard a friend of mine named Paul Brown, a wonderful preacher, talk about the forgiveness of sins. And, and he talked about how the work of Christ is applied to a sinner's life. And it was very interesting because I, uh, for the first time we had joined uh, BJ's club like Costco or Sam's club, you know. And, and, and so this was fresh in my mind. And, and he said... When you go into Sam's Club uh, and uh, you get right to the front door, what do you have to do before they let you in? You have to show your membership card. You have to show that you're okay with Sam. Sam's got to admit you into the club. And, uh, and Paul Brown said, and you don't get into heaven unless you're okay with Jesus Christ. And then you go in and you buy in bulk. <laughs> you get lots of blessings. And on your way out the door, all those debts that you incurred, what happens before you leave Sam's Club? Do you know? Well, there's a guy at the door, and he checks your receipt, and your receipt, your receipt has a lot of bills on it, and he's checking to see them, and then he looks at the very bottom, and it says... Paid in full. Paid. And now you go out. This is how Jesus is able to forgive us. Paid in full because of the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, somebody says, well, preacher, 
If my sins were paid for at the cross, past, present, future sins are paid for at the cross, then why on earth does Jesus teach me today that I should pray, forgive me my sins, forgive us our debts? And I think that's a fair question. And there are two reasons why he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, as a regular part of our prayer life, with itemization, by the way. And the first reason is because the context tells us you pray these prayers in a relationship with your heavenly Father. You're not beginning this prayer, oh, consuming fire of heaven. That's not how he teaches us to pray. How are we commanded? We studied this. How are we commanded to address God as our Father? And so you come to Him in your adoption, in your sonship. You show up as a child of God, as a daughter or son of God, and as a family member. And you ask for forgiveness when you realize that you're not acting or thinking or speaking the way a member of the family should. And you need to get back on track. We have some excellent parents in this church. I love watching the moms and dads. It makes me very glad the moms and dads we have in our church. And I love the way that I see them correcting and training their children. And they don't do it as a consuming fire, uh, sometimes, uh, but no, no, not as a consuming fire. How do they do it? I watch them. They take the child and seat them on their lap. And they say, come on now, come on, let's, let's think about this for a minute. What have you just done? You need to remember who you are. In our family, we don't hit our brother. In our family, we don't say those words. Daddy doesn't want you to say these things. Mommy doesn't want you to be this way. And the child says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And dad says, yeah, let's remember who we are. Of course, I love you. And then we move forward. That's like what's happening when Jesus teaches you to pray to your heavenly Father, forgive us our sins. Remember who you are. And then the second reason you do it is because it's a matter of spiritual warfare. And what you will find if you regularly make a habit of paying attention to your sin patterns and confessing them is that you will surprisingly start to sin less. You will, and here's how it happens. And I know I, mm, I need to get my map with pins back up again, but it... It's like in those old war movies, you know, when they see where the battles take place, they put a pin in, and pretty soon there's a cluster of pins at one spot, and suddenly the general says, you know what? There's a pretty congested area of battle over here. We should pay attention to this and address it. And by virtue of the fact that you regularly pay attention to your own soul and your thoughts and words and attitudes and deeds, and, and you want to get right with God, that you discover those, those traps that your flesh and the world and that Satan himself has laid for you. Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's strategies, and you become aware of the, the assault that the devil has against your soul 
and, it, and it's healthy for you, then you pray, forgive me for that sin. I better start paying attention to this. Listen, in your prayer times, do you pay attention to your own sin patterns or just your wife's sin patterns? You see, that's what I like to do. I pay attention to my wife's sin patterns and pray for her, right? That's not what God wants. Where's the log in the eye? Whose log and whose eye does God want me to address? My own. So that's a part of this beautiful prayer. Forgive us our debts. And when you do, Isaiah 55, 7 tells us what happens. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon And the Hebrew word in some translations is translated, he will abundantly pardon. It's lavish pardon. Oh, listen, if you're here today and you have this idea that God forgives like with an eyedropper, you know, you squeeze a little out, little bit for you, little bit for you, none for you. Is that how God forgives? It says here in Isaiah 55, 7, For He will lavishly, abundantly, freely pardon. Lord, forgive us our sins. But then, point three. In this prayer, he goes on and and he teaches us to say, As we forgive our debtors. And there's this matter of forgiving those who sin against us. How do we do that? Who are these people? who sin against you. These are the people who have failed in their obligation to love you. It's true. They are the people who have failed in their obligation to love you. For God requires us to love one another, and in some fashion or other, maybe they failed driving on the LIE or in the stop and shop or Uh, in the political discussion that you were having, or they failed to show you the respect and love that they should have shown you. And it bothers you. They sin against you. And Jesus says you need to forgive them. And in Matthew uh, 14 and 15, he goes on, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, right here, Christians for centuries have struggled with this verse and have wondered, well, wait a minute, all this talk at North Shore Community Church about justification by faith alone and salvation by grace alone, all of a sudden, Jesus is is suggesting that our work of forgiving will be the, the ground of our salvation. And you know and I know that we categorically deny this. I hope you know the passage in Titus 3.5. Why does God save us? Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Even if your forgiving of other people is blue ribbon forgiving, it's still not enough to pay your debt. It would be like the murderer who shows up in front of the judge and says, well, yeah, I knocked off a couple of people, but I drive 55, you know. I give a hoot, I don't pollute. 
And the judge stops him. And he says, driving 55 will not atone for the murders you committed. No. There's no treasury of merit. Listen to me carefully. The church, even for several centuries, had this heretical doctrine called the treasury of merits. That somehow Christ's merits come in and they get into your life and then you have a treasury of merits from your good deeds and you are judged according to that treasury of merits as though then you are somehow going to be considered worthy. And the Bible just does not teach that. If you're here today and you think, I have a surplus of merit, I'm just better than all those other people. Be careful. What is it that you're counting on? Your good grades? You give money? You know, the public TV has their fundraising drive and you call in and give a couple of nickels to them? Why why is God going to accept you? Because you're handsome. Because you have a thin waist. Because you give money away. Why will God accept you? Where, Where do you deceive yourself by commending yourself as so superior? Be careful. He saved us because of His mercy, okay? But once you have tasted of mercy, Jesus says, you will show mercy. And if you don't show mercy, you've never tasted mercy. That's what we're learning here. It's the blood of Christ that presents us to the Father. But He says, if you've been released from God's condemnation, then you will want to release others. And Jesus goes on to teach about this at great length. I'm just going to draw your attention to that parable a few chapters later in Matthew 18. Do you know that parable where He talks about this king who forgave his servant like a million dollars in debt? Remember that one? And the guy is forgiven his million dollar debt and then he goes outside and who does he meet he meets some other joker who owes him a little bit of money and what does he do he rises up in his wrath he begins to choke the guy pay back what you owe me and the guy says for you know be patient with me be patient with me he says no and the king hears about it and the king says should you not have had mercy on your neighbor as I had on you, and he takes him and he throws him into the debtor prison. Jesus says, you must forgive. I read a book 20 years ago, fantastic book by Lewis Smedes called Forgive and Forget. I will never forget reading this book. And he says in this parable, there's three parts to this. You have them listed in your sermon outline. I, I have to give you the practical steps of the spiritual surgery that enable you to forgive. What are they? They are simply these. The first one is change the snapshot. The second is cultivate new feelings. The third is surrender your right to get even. And, and, I, and I say that you have to change the snapshot, which simply means you have to change the way you look at the other person. Because, you see, if you're like me, if somebody else sins against you, you take out your camera on your iPhone, and you find the other person, and you put them in your sights, and you snap a picture of them at their worst. 
and you print it out, and you put it in your pocket, and you keep it there. And every time that person crosses your path, you take it out again, and you look at it, and you say, there, there's the person who did that despicable thing to me. And that defines them in your mind. But God does not do that with us. He does not define us by those sins that we've committed. If we are in Christ through the cross of Jesus Christ, God looks at us in different ways, and there are these visual images given in the Bible to describe how God looks at us. He looks at us as washed, right? Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. You're washed. That's how He sees you. Your sins are taken, and they are placed on the back of a goat. What's that goat called? The scapegoat. And the goat is sent out into the desert far away. And how does God look at you? You're clean. Your sins cast into the bottom of the ocean. How does He look at you? He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. And when we look even at the person who sins against us, we should see that other person at least as made in the image of God, And we should see them as a person who God, in fact, may change. But we should see them with the eyes of love that He gives to us. For Jesus said, even love your enemies. You change the snapshot. And then, secondly, you cultivate new feelings. And somebody's saying, well, that's not possible. How can you cultivate new feelings? But it's not impossible. Not if you've changed the snapshot, tried to look at the other person in a more biblical way, and then you apply the gospel to your own heart, and you experience the fact that God has changed His feelings toward you. And every Christian at one time or another, not every Sunday, not every sermon, uh, do you feel this, but you feel what the prodigal son felt when he came down the road and his father came running toward him, arms open wide and threw his arms around him loved him, and loved him, and loved him. And you know that love. And that love begins to beat in your heart, and now it goes to you and through you to your fellow sinner. And you sympathize, even you sympathize them with them at the point of their weakness. I know I've told this story before. James Dobson talks about a woman he was counseling whose father was abusive to her. And she was very broken because of the way her dad treated her growing up. And she even got nauseous on his birthday. To make things worse, her dad was dead. She couldn't even be reconciled with him. And she was a wreck. And Dobson says, I tried everything. Here's great Christian counselor, James Dobson. He said, I tried everything. I made no progress. And then one, one session, I blurted out, well, I know your father hurt you, but maybe someone hurt him. And our session was over, and she came back a week later. She said, Dr. Dobson, I did something this week. I went to my dad's hometown. I went to the barber shop where he got his hair cut. I went to his high school and saw some of his old teachers. They told me that my dad was actually was picked on 
by almost everybody. And my dad, he was ambitious. He tried all kinds of enterprises, and he failed at them all. One teacher called him a broken man. And she said, that doesn't excuse what he did to me. But it explains a lot. And for the first time, I have some sympathy for my dad. And Dobson just sat back and he watched the healing streams of forgiveness start to flow in her life. You change the way you feel about another because of the way God in Christ has forgiven you. And that leads to the third point. We tear the snapshot, right? Or you delete from your cell phone. (laughs) You change your feelings. And thirdly, to forgive, you have to surrender your right to get even. And Lewis Smedes, he writes very eloquently about this. And he says, because when you are hurt, there is an impulse immediately, a moral reaction in your heart when you are unfairly wronged that says, the universe entitles me to get even. I want justice. But in the healing streams of forgiveness, we surrender that right and we say that we will bless our enemy rather than curse him. On the judgment day, If you are found in Christ, what will happen to your sins? Will you be condemned? Not at all. Not at all. Your sins have been cast into the sea. They've been laid on the scapegoat. You have been washed clean. And God will say, welcome, welcome, my beloved child. Come to my banquet table. Your sins were paid for at the cross. This is the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? If you've never believed the gospel, today's your day. This is your opportunity to say, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior. Today's a good day for you. Make Him your Savior. If you are a Christian, how do you know if forgiveness is happening in your life? What Lewis Smedes writes is he says, You know that forgiveness has begun when you remember those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to bless an abuser. I am not saying that you're supposed to stay in, in, and just take horrible treatment by other people, okay? Hear me correctly. And if you're in that kind of situation, please come talk to an elder. Please come talk to a pastor, Okay? But I am talking about the attitude of our hearts. There must come that place, that time, when we want to wish the one who hurt us well. I sat in my office once with a woman, her husband who had committed uh, many adulteries, and the sister of the woman. And we were in the middle of the discoveries, and it was terrible. And the sister was weeping, filled with fury. She said to the man, how could you have done this to my sister? She says, she says, but I'm a Christian. And so I don't want you to go to hell. 
Herpes, maybe. And then she caught herself and she said, I don't even want that for you. I I was amazed. She had begun the healing streams of forgiveness. And she and her sister, in a powerful way, representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about you? Can you now say to your heavenly Father right now, forgive me my debts, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those, we forgive our debtors? Can we do that together right now? Let's go to, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the great teacher. You're the great teacher in words. You teach us this magnificent prayer so penetrating. Forgive us our debts, and we pray that you would get us back on track in those sin patterns of our lives. But we thank you that you are our teacher by example, and we heard from your lips, Father, forgive them. You forgive us. We pray that you would enable us today to to start doing more spiritual surgery in our life. We know that heaven is filled with forgiven and forgiving people. We don't want to lose heaven, Lord. Make us like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.